for their family uh, is that you can break out of the bonds of whatever your family was like growing up. And maybe you had a wonderful family. I mean, Marty had a wonderful, normal family. And uh, that's what we should have said. Do you come from a normal family? <laughs> Anybody out there? I'm sure there, you know, maybe you just had a great, great experience. And uh, um, amen to that. But I was from a family that was very broken. Um, my father passed when I was only a year old. Um, my brother was six. Uh, he was 30 years old. Uh, he was a, apparently a great guy. Uh, he played football for Tulane, um, and uh, he was the love of my mom's life. Um, and it was a real tragedy when he passed away at age 30. Um, and, uh, you know, that's kind of flavored her entire life, uh, as you can imagine. And so my brother and I moved back with my mom's parents uh, in Chicago, and we uh, spent the next five years with my uh, grandmother and grandfather. And I'm really grateful because they just did all they could to make it better. Um, my mom remarried uh, in 1964. And I'd like to say that was a great thing, but it was, it was a pretty rough thing. You know, my, my stepdad did everything he could to provide for us financially. And he did a great job at that. He worked for Xerox. Um, but as far as emotionally, there was very little going on there between uh, my brother and I and him. And uh, when he and my mom had uh, their one and only child, my sister, who I loved dearly, uh, it really created a real rift in our family. Um, my mom eventually divorced my stepdad when I was a senior in high school. And... Uh, um, we, uh, we were in Texas at the time and, uh, you know, even though I was ready to graduate from high school, uh, and then I went up to Chicago to be with my mom. She returned to Chicago to be near her family, uh, after the divorce, uh, as an adult, as a young adult, my mom started dating again. And I can tell you, I don't know if you've ever had that experience, but it's weird. <laughs> Even though I was in my 20s, I just felt like I was 10 years old all over again and stuff. And uh, uh, she married for the third time, and uh, eventually he passed away. Um, but, you know, I mean, I can't say I came into being a Christian thinking, wow, I can't wait to get married and have a family. That was so far from what I thought, you know, I, I didn't really even consider it. And I'm so grateful that I can have a, a really awesome family. Uh, we love each other, and we had a blast when our kids were growing up. And it was a great experience, despite the mistakes that we've made in our family uh, with our kids. I, I wouldn't trade it for anything. And I'm so grateful. I, I really believe that's one of the greatest blessings of being a Christian. So this is our, yep, this is our, uh, our son, Ben, and his wife, Bailey. If you knew us at UCLA, he was, I think, going into kindergarten. Uh, and now he's 30 years old, and uh, he teaches middle school, um, which is kind of funny if you knew him 
in middle school. <laughs> he teaches uh, technology in middle school, and he coaches the girls' cross-country team, uh, seventh and eighth grade teams, and he, he's really into Ironman. And his wife, Bailey, uh, just got her nurse practitioner's license, and they're in Dallas, Texas. Uh, and then on the other side is Maria next to me. She just turned 29 years old, and uh, that's her husband, Ross. I'm so grateful for our in-laws there. We, we just won the lottery. I mean, they're, they're really great. And uh, so, so thankful. Uh, and Maria married a guy. It's funny because she dated all these guys that were really different from her and, you know, uh, you know, had a lot of piercings and not, I'm not down on it. I'm just saying, you know, you, when you're thinking of your future son-in-law, maybe you have, you know, a certain picture in mind and it was really different. And, but she wound up marrying Ross, who's like, I mean, it's kind of funny. He's like from Mayberry or something. He's really middle of the road. Very, very, uh, very good guy. Uh, this is our adopted daughter, Anya, who's now 30 years old. And uh, she's from Russia. She came to us when she was uh, about 11 and a half years old. And uh, she just got engaged uh, to her boyfriend of, of a few years. And uh, they're getting married next summer. So uh, she's working and out of the house, which is, hey, amen. They all left the house. Uh, <laughs> these are our two dogs that are our children now. Uh, that is Jack and Lucy. And then this is our what we call our family on the right. Um, our house was empty except for us and our two dogs. And we had a friend, a sister in Christ, who was going through a terrible divorce. And uh, we were very close friends. And, and we invited her to live with us about two and a half years ago. And she's actually ready to leave the nest at 37 years old. <laughs> Um, she owned her own house, but she came and stayed with us just to get some stability in her life uh, after going through a difficult divorce. Um, and then this lovely child on the end is our um, teenager that we took in. Uh, her mom became a Christian about two years ago and then passed away about a year ago of, of breast cancer. She, she knew she was, um, she was in, already in a trial. Uh, with Kaiser when she became a Christian. And actually, Gloria Baird and um, Sydney Johnson were the ones that reached out to her mom, Marianne. So she, her mom passed away, and we were very, very close friends. And, and we asked her if she'd like to spend her senior year with us because we were driving distance from her high school. So, you know, family looks different. It, it may not be exactly what you expected, but you know, family is what you make it. And uh, we're really grateful for the way God has blessed us in our family and our family. Um, and the next slide is Marty. Uh, yeah, just to uh, add one thing, uh, Karina, the uh, girl, the high school age girl, is now at the University of Alaska. Uh, she's a freshman up there. But turn in your Bibles to the uh, book of Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, some Bible scriptures here that will give us some uh, guidance. You know, the title here is uh, Parenting with a Purpose. And uh, here are the two things that we're writing down here that are the purposes that, that we're going to talk about. Number one. 
How are you going to know if you're doing a good job according to our class today? Number one is that you raise children that honor God. That's a goal. That's a, that you, you absolutely want that. You want to raise children that honor God. And number two, raise children that will be successful adults. In other words, that you can actually launch them, they leave, and they uh, have their own life, and they're living successful lives. So those two things are, are going to be our definition. Now, the, the passages we want to read are fairly familiar to most of us, but we're going to read them anyway. In uh, Ephesians 6, verse 1, children, and there's two things here that the children are responsible for, according to this passage. Obey your parents, that's one of them. Uh, for this is right, honor your father and mother. So the two responsibilities that our children have and that your children have, I'm, my mother is still alive, and so I still have, as a child of my mother who's 85 years old, honor uh, your father and mother, which is the first commandment with the promise that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And we're going to look at verse 4 here as fathers and mothers or parents. Parents, and we're going to have a negative and a positive. Parents, do not exasperate. Now, what's another word for exasperate? Aggravate, frustrate, annoy. So we have a do not as a parent. Isn't that interesting? The scriptures tells you what not to do. Don't at least try to not do this. The indication would be that we might have a tendency to do it, right? Did your parents, fathers, mothers, did your parents annoy you? Yes. And you can be assured that you annoy your kids from time to time. But we, we are exhorted to not do this. At least try not to do this to your parents. Do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So we have the negative of try not to do this, the positive of try to do this. Actually try to, to raise your children in a good way. This passage strongly indicates that children do not raise themselves. That parenting is actually something that you should be trying to do. There's an intentional going on here. You are trying to raise your children and raise them up in a good way. Look over to Colossians 3. Same sort of neighborhood there. Uh, similar passage, uh, Colossians 3, verse 18. Oh, actually beginning uh, in, uh, let's pick it up in verse... Uh, well, 18, well, yeah. Wives, submit to your husbands as fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. And so you have these two passages that sort of go uh, together. Uh, you have something to add here? Yeah, I, you know, if you look at the screen, that's Arnold there. <laughs> it, it's really easy for us to kind of buy into some of the some of the things that that we see on TV, movies, our culture, etc. of what it means to be family. And uh, we just, you know, we put those up to just as a reminder, you know, that that's 
we're going countercultural. You know, we we need to go against the grain in our world today. And uh, Marty Marty is driven crazy by TV shows where the dad is always really dumb. You know, the the kids are brilliant and dad is stupid and mom's bossy. And uh, you know, we can fall into those patterns if we don't watch out. And so we need to really be taking our cues not from the world around us today or from our past, uh, but from God's word and the goals that it sets out for us. Uh, you know, uh, look at this passage in Luke chapter 2. This is actually the one passage we have in the Bible that talks about Jesus as a child uh, and uh, his inner reactions with his parents. Uh, and uh, good stuff here. A uh, little note just that uh, Luke throws in here about Jesus. This is after he was uh, in the uh, temple talking to the, uh, uh, to the elders and teachers of the law, and they finally find him. And uh, in verse uh, 48, it says, His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. So, you know, uh, Mary here, she says, You know, your dad and I are a little annoyed with you and frustrated with you. That, uh, that you've uh, sort of, you know, gone away and we didn't even know where you were. He says, why were, you, uh, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know that I had to be about my father's business or I had to be my father's house? But they uh, did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. That's a nice little bit of information, isn't it? <laughs> that uh, from that time on, he did a little bit better job, apparently. It says, but his mother treasured all these things in her heart. Then Jesus grew in wisdom and stature in favor with God and uh, with men. So you have uh, some really good stuff there. I want to give you a couple more passages. We're not going to look at them, but I want you to, uh, those of you who are taking notes, to maybe write them down. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, talking about those who want to be, become elders and deacons, it makes comments about the family, about the children. And it, uh, it gives a very strong indication that those who are going to be in leadership positions in the church should know how to manage their family. And in the context of 1 Timothy 3, it's talking about the men. In 1 Timothy 5, Paul is talking about women. And he says that they also should manage the family. And so this idea of managing the family is both the responsibility of the husband and the wife, or the dad and the mom. And in cases, some cases you don't have a dad or you don't have a mom. You have single-parent situations. But in any case, the parents are to be responsible to manage the children, not the other way around. Good point. The children aren't supposed to be managing the parents. The parents, according to the Word of God, should be managing the children. Did you have something there? Keep going. You're going to do the boundaries thing. Yeah. Okay. You ready for that? Sure. Okay. Next one. Next slide, please. Um, I know you guys, some of you have been uh, reading the Townsend book, uh, Boundaries for Children. And uh, I, I read a lot of that book. I love it. Uh, I think he has a lot of great ideas, thought-provoking, and... Um, if you haven't read it, it's a really good read. It's worth it. Um, but it made me think of this passage of Scripture about, you know, from the Psalms, that the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. And I would say probably one of the regrets I have of uh, the time when my 
children were much younger. And I mean, it's all kind of a blur, to be honest with you. Maybe you feel like it's a blur now, but um, you know, you're getting up and you're trying to to make life happen and maybe you're you're working full time and you know you're up at night with the baby and all of that it seems like a blur but even later in life it can kind of feel like a blur and so this idea of just delighting in whatever stage your kids are in and really enjoying it because what do people always say oh it goes by so fast and I never was one of those moms who took a lot of pictures and had scrapbooks and everything. And, you know, I wish I would have just savored it more. And so maybe, you know, think about that. Uh, and there's a way to do that without having a totally kid-centric life. Uh, I really want to encourage you, you know, if you're married and raising kids, you need to really invest in your marriage because there will come a day. <laughs> there will come a day when, when they leave the house prayerfully and you're with your spouse and I just love it. I mean, we're looking forward to being on our own again at the end of the year. Um, now that Karina's gone uh, up to Alaska and Maggie's moving out in December. Um, I'm look, really looking forward to that time. Uh, but really think it through and savor it and uh, make your marriage awesome and enjoy the time with your kids in whatever stage they're in. Yep. One thing I think that uh, we've learned over the years is that you have what I call chapters, or Chris used the term stages, of life. And uh, you never understand the chapter you're in until you're out of it, uh, which is really interesting. You know, you sort of know how to do infants once they're not infants. And you really, you sort of figured out how to do school-age kids when they graduate, you know, and that kind of thing. So that's a given. Don't feel like, you know, I think sometimes as parents, you feel like, man, am I the dumbest parent that ever was? I, I, I always seem like I don't know what I'm doing. That's actually a very, very normal feeling for parents because no one knows how to do the chapter they're in until they're through it. And then they, they have a better idea how to do it. So you're not dumb. Uh, you're not, you know, you didn't read the right book or whatever. That's a very normal feeling because life sort of uh, progresses on and goes along the way. Now, here's the good thing is that your kids don't know what they're doing either. So they don't know that you're feeling that. And so sometimes you have to have a little stage presence here. You know, Mom, what do I do? Well, don't it explode. I don't know. <laughs> Act like you know what you're doing. And, and, and the kids are probably going to go along with it because they think you do anyway. And the next slide shows, you know, the different stages. This is our, our friends, the Johnstons from our sector, their son, Akira who's now going into, I believe it's fourth grade, with our dogs when he was a baby. And it just seems like, you know, our eyes blinked and he's, he's already in school. That's Ben and Maria when, when we first moved to uh, Los Angeles. And uh, our daughter Anya is a teenager. And then this is Maria's wedding. And it just goes by so fast. But you're going to be able to you know, all that wisdom you get through the good and the bad and the, and the great ideas you have and the mistakes, uh, you're going to be able to share that with your kids as they grow up and have their own kids and with other people, your friends, 
you know, it's great to be able to have a young couple that we're helping uh, parent through their stages. I feel like, man, you know, I wish I, wish I would have listened more carefully. Uh, we were very fortunate in the Chicago church to have couples that were much older than us who were willing to help us uh, through our parenting. Not just the uh, Chicago church, but the L.A. church as well. If Chris and I had to pay for all the counseling we've gotten in our marriage and uh, in our parenting and family, uh, we would be broke uh, considerably. Uh, th there's many, many people that can help you, and so I would hope that you're taking advantage uh, of that. So we're ready to go into the action. Next. Next. Remember the two goals we talked about. You know, I, I think it's really easy just to kind of get through life. I'm just getting by, I'm just surviving, instead of parenting with a purpose, which is our theme today. And if you can just remember one thing from today, the two goals are to raise children who honor God. If we're gonna do that, what do we have to be? You know, what do you have to be? You, you have to be honoring God in your own life. You have to be demonstrating that God is the priority that he's more important than AYSO, that he's more important than the straight A's, that he's more important than you know uh, your recreational activities. Uh, don't expect your kids to all of a sudden get committed when they join the teen ministry. You know, it's, you're hoping, it's not gonna happen. Uh, you, you have to really make sure that, that you're honoring God all the way through. And secondly, raise children who are successful adults. And the question there is, what's your definition of successful? You know, does it mean successful, they're going to make a lot of money? Successful, they're going to buy their house, you know, when they first get married? Or is it successful, they're good citizens, they have character, uh, they are going to be great parents to their kids, they're going to be a blessing to their kids because of the blessing that you were to them. Uh, they're successful because they're spiritually strong. Uh, they're successful because they're surviving difficult times. You know, our kids are going to go through really tough times in their life. And as we have all gone through really tough times, uh, they have to weather that for themselves. And so we better build them tough from, from the uh, cradle up, uh, built to take the, the challenges that the world throws at all of us. Okay, we're going to give you, this ought to be fun, some parenting truisms and axioms. You like those words? Yeah. Uh, SAT word. <laughs> you know, just let it be noted that uh, Susan and Chris and I are all graduates of Eastern Illinois University. The Harvard and, uh, of the Midwest. Yes, and they... they they have an outstanding vocabulary department there, yeah. and, uh, and we, we've worked on it. Okay, so we're, we're going to give you some good stuff here. Now, Chris has got me on these uh, slides, and so I'm, I'm not my normal smooth self. Yeah. Okay, character, character, character. What do you want? You want character. You're more, you're, you're more impressed with character than you are with performance. You're more, you want character more than you want academic success. You want character more than you want athletic success. 
You're interested in character. And so what do you compliment? What do you notice? What do you say something supportive in response to? Character. That's what you're looking for. You realize that as parents, more is caught than taught. Your children are constantly observing you. Positive and negative. As a matter of fact, when they get to be adults, you, you scratch your head and say, why in the world did they imitate that? Why couldn't they uh, have imitated the other thing? Yeah. Well, they imitate what they see. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Chris, or, uh, ben, rather, sat me down uh, two Christmases back and uh, said, Dad, we need to have a talk. And he said, uh, I think the Fuquay men have a culture of anger. And uh, he referenced a few things that my father had done uh, that he had seen uh, as his grandson, uh, you know, uh, and uh, he had uh, made some reference of some things that I had done. And uh, he said, I think the Fuquay men have a culture of anger. And I, I sat there and I thought, boy, if he'd only met my grandfather. <laughs> I actually think we're moving in a good direction here. <laughs> we're making generational improvement. Uh, but what was I going to say? Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I, I've, you've seen me be angry, and uh, that isn't good. And uh, I said, you know, you better watch out, son. Uh, the, your name's Fuquay, too, last time I checked. And, uh, you know, it may show up uh, in your life as well. But... Uh, you know, they, they're going to notice things, guys, that they're going to pick up. You know, if you're bad-mouthing the preacher on, on, the, on the way home from church, uh, yeah, it surely couldn't happen with Steve. But uh, theoretically speaking, if, if, if uh, you didn't like something about church and you're making commentary on the way home, your children are listening. All of a sudden. Uh, and all, all of a sudden. All of a sudden, they don't want to go to church. Why not? Well, they got the impression you weren't enjoying it much. You've got to realize more is caught than taught in, in, in your home. And the home is a primary place where children become Christians, not the teen ministry. The teen ministry is a wonderful addition. And, and it's awesome. And I think in every part of the L.A. church right now, we have very, very good teen ministries. My children were the beneficiaries of, of a great teen ministry. But the primary place that people become Christians is in the home, not in the teen ministry. Number three, the relationship is crucial. The relationship you have with your child is crucial. There will be umpteen times in circumstances, situations where your relationship will get strained. Mm -hmm. Teenage girls and, and, and their mothers almost always fuss and don't get along with each other during that time. You've got to make a decision. Is the relationship more important or being right being more important? Teenage boys and their dads get competitive with each other and who's bigger and who's stronger. And somewhere along the line, it happens in all of our lives. He is stronger than you now. 
and you'd better not wrestle in the living room because he's going to put you on your back. You better realize that chapter's over, <laughs> and it will never return uh, either. Uh, but the relationship is crucial. The relationship is what is going to make it to, to, to the next chapter. Yeah, and I think, I think just, I mean, we've always, we've always tried to emphasize with people, you know, take time with your kids. Time in the car is a great time uh, after school to be able to hear about their day or maybe just sit there quietly, you know. Uh, sometimes we've got like, you know, 25 questions. We're, we're quizzing them every time they get in the car. But, you know, we had some of our best talks with our kids driving different places. And we'd go on road trips. Uh, I remember one Halloween we went up to Tehachapi. I don't know what on earth possessed us. I mean, because here we were out in the middle of the mountains, and it was really dark and foggy, and it was, it was Halloween, and it was really scary. And... Uh, but, you know, it was a great time with our kids. And, and that time, you know, there's going to come a day when they're older and they don't really want to go on trips with you um, as much as they did. And yet it's just great to be able to get away and uh, really enjoy those times together. Okay. Well, what, what number am I on here? All loved children are spoiled. That's a given. Someone said, well, you spoiled your children. Thank you. <laughs> I did it on purpose. There are thousands and tens of thousands and maybe millions of children in the world that aren't loved. All loved children are spoiled. You say, well, they deserve to be loved. I would quote Clint. Clint. No, was that Clint? Yeah. Uh -huh. Deserves got nothing to do with it. We love our children because God wants us to love our children. All love children are spoiled. Next, bend the will. Don't break the spirit. But bend it. It disappoints me entirely with some of our parents in the church. Their kids have got them. Their kids have whooped them. It's over. You should never be in a position where your children are dominating you. You're the parent. You say, well, I want to be a friend. Listen, my kids got all kinds of friends. They've got one dad. Be their dad. They need their dad to be their dad. Now, can their dad also be their friend? Sure enough. But their dad is always their dad and should function in that role on purpose. Bend the will. Don't break the spirit. Next, emphasize the positive. Minimize the negative. They do something good, emphasize it. That was good. Don't, don't emphasize the negative. Oh, you struck out. Well, yeah, but he was nice to the coach when he went back to the uh, dugout. Find something positive to emphasize for your kids. They get all kinds of negative all the, all the time. Emphasize the positive. Find the positive. Notice the positive. Build up the positive in their life and minimize the negative. You know, I got, an, I got one F my whole time going to school. And my dad was a school principal. 
You know what he said about my F? Nothing. Never mentioned it. As a matter of fact, when I'd get a report card, we spent most of our time on the right side of the page, which was the behavioral issues. He spent very little time on the other side. He wasn't really interested much with that unless it was D. In his opinion, D stood for dumb. And he said, I don't have any dumb kids. So, you know, isn't that interesting? I remember that after all those years. But nothing was ever said about the F. Never mentioned. Emphasize the positive. Next, improvement is always appreciated. These are truisms. These are axioms of parentage. Being a good parent, improvement's always appreciated. You don't have to get it all done at once. Just get a little better. Improvement's always appreciated. Just get a little bit better as you go along. Next, be part of the solution, not part of the problem. Something we should teach our kids. Be part of the solution, not part of the problem. Well, my soccer team is awful. Well, are you part of the problem or part of the solution? Well, I don't like any of my kids in my, in, in my room. We're none of us nice to each other. Are you part of the solution or are you part of the problem? It's just something that, that we can emphasize with our kids. And then this last one's a big one. That's your business, not mine. That's your business, not mine. You say, what does that mean? <laughs> They're saying it. They're saying it. <laughs> It means somewhere along the line, in increasing in value as your child grows older, it's their life, not yours. That's your business, not mine. We're talking about who getting arrested. I got arrested for peeing off an interstate bridge once. Not recently. Yeah, yeah. Improvements always appreciated. Amen. But uh, I was uh, I was concerned my parents were going to find out about it because it'd come out in the in the local newspaper. And so and so I I had to because uh, I thought it'd come out in the paper. And so I told my dad, and mom, that uh, I had done this and. Uh, uh, and I said to my dad, uh, I, I grew up in a comparatively small uh, Midwest town, and I said, uh, you know, uh, could you go talk to Mr. Terry, who was the uh, uh, owner and publisher of the local newspaper, and ask him uh, to not uh, print that if it came through? And he said, that's your business, not mine. And I went to Mr. Terry and asked him if he would not print it. And he said, if, it, uh, if the police department sends it to me, I print it. I don't care whose name's on it. And if it comes through, I'll print it. And you know what? It never did get printed in the newspaper. So I wasted all that thing, you know, with my parents. But, um, you know, it, 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 this is something that, that is very important for some of you as parents because you are so fearful as parents that your kids are not going to have success that you continue to make their decisions for them. 
What that actually tells your children is not how much you love them, but how much you don't trust them. Sometimes it's their business, not yours. You know, I, I was going through a, a time in my life uh, in, in college where I was very seriously considering uh, quitting the wrestling team, which I eventually did because I'd become a Christian and things were much more important to me to do other things than be on the wrestling team. And I asked my dad, what do you think? What do you think he said? That's your business, not mine. You know, you, you, you know what that told me? He thinks I'm smart. He thinks I know what to do. He thinks I can figure it out on my own. Now, when do you start doing that? For a three-year-old, probably not. <laughs> and, we're, and we're going to talk about that a little bit later in the other class, about there's, there's a time of appropriateness to, to certain types of parenting and, and things that you might do at one stage you probably shouldn't do uh, at another stage and that kind of thing but going along they need to realize they're making their own decisions and and uh, one we didn't put on here is uh, decisions have consequences yeah. you know for instance you you got on the soccer team and now you don't like the coach well decisions have consequences you got on the team, and you're going to be on the team until the season's over. Because we don't start things and then stop it. You know, another one I could have put on here is your name's Fuquay. That means something around here. Because it, it, it didn't make any difference if, if my kid friend did something and said, you know, well, I did this and that. And I, if, if I went to my parents and said, well, uh, uh, Steve did this or, or, or uh, you know, whatever. He said, what's Steve's last name? <laughs> Nelson. Well, I'm not familiar with what the Nelsons are doing. But I understand your name is Fuquay. Is that correct? Yeah. Well, Fuquay's don't quit. And, and you just plug in your name there. Decisions have consequences, if you understand what I'm saying. And, and you teach your kid that that's your business. You know, one time I got sent to the principal's office when I was in sixth grade. And my dad was principal, not of that building, but he was a principal over all the buildings and the, the elementary system uh, that, that I was in. And I got sent to the principal's office, and I was sitting there waiting to see the principal. And who walks in? My dad. My principal's boss. He looked at me and said, hey, Marty. <laughs> walked on in the principal's office, did whatever business he had to do with the principal that day. Walked out and said, see at home. <laughs> Never ask. Because I understood even in sixth grade. That's my business. And if it became his business, it wasn't going to be good. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. And I got, I got sent to the principal's office because I was making those little footballs, you know, you make and you flip it. And, you know, hey, good. And that kind of thing. And the teacher said, stop doing it. And we kept doing it. 
And so she sent my tail down to the principal's office. And I imagine he found out what I was in the principal's office for, and he felt like, eh, it's not that big of a deal. That's his business. Not, I don't need to in, in, in intrude into his business. See, even at sixth grade, how, how, are you, how old are you in sixth grade? 10? Uh, 11? 12? Something like that? Even by then, you ought to understand that your kid needs to be making some decisions and have responsibility for those decisions as you go along. Yes, ma'am. Um, if you look back at this list, it's always very humbling to ask yourself on some of these, you know, how are you doing as a parent? You know, are you improving? You know, I mean, maybe today you feel like, hey, I'm not ripping it up spiritually in my own life. And you can tell yourself, well, improvement is always appreciated. God doesn't expect us to be perfect, but he wants us to be making progress in our life. And this is attainable for anybody. It's not like you have to have a doctorate to be able to do this stuff. Uh, Emphasizing the positive. Being a part of the solution, not a part of the problem. You know, how are we doing in our own lives? Because we're not going to be able to lead our kids. We're we're not going ourselves. I know for me uh, that... The thing that helped me the most uh, in parenting was it's not like I always did everything right, but we tried to have humility when we messed up. Uh, We tried to model that for our kids. Uh, When we messed up, we would, you know, have a family meeting, and we'd say, hey, you know, we were a little hard on you guys, and we want to apologize. Um, and, And we taught our kids that, too. Uh, you know, if they got a bad report in Kids Kingdom, it wasn't like, well, that teacher, you know, they, that brother, he doesn't really, he doesn't even have kids. He doesn't know what he's doing. You know, we, it didn't matter who it was. I mean, they were going back to Kids Kingdom post-haste, and they were going to apologize to the teacher for being disrespectful, regardless. And, you know, I mean, it's got a story. Okay, one, one story. Okay, got one, one story, minute. One story. Uh, and, this, and this goes for their athletic behavior, too. Uh, ben was on a soccer team, uh, and uh, his coach was a jerk. I'm telling you, first-class, capital-J jerk. And I knew it. Everybody, everybody in the whole it's a stadium knew it. And Ben knew it. And this coach was yelling at him and yelling at him and yelling at him. And finally, he turned around, and he yelled all the way across the field at the coach. He said, will you shut up? And you know what? That coach deserved that. But, man, I met him coming back from the break, and I said, you get your butt over there, and you apologize to your coach. Don't you ever talk to a coach like that again. And now he's a coach. You, you do not let your kids get away with stuff because someone, oh, you know, my, my teacher doesn't like me. Well, maybe you're doing some things that really tick your teacher off. You know, you, 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 you cannot give your kids excuses and take their excuses for their lack of good behavior. Last slide. There. Parenting with a purpose. Keep the purposes in mind. Keep the goals in mind. We want to have kids that honor God, and we want to have kids that are successful in their lives the right way. Thank you. Good job, as always.
are so far ahead of their peers because they learned to be friendly when they were three years old. It really will make a difference down the road. I mean, they learned to network. They're not afraid of adults. I mean, the, the teachers at uh, Fairburn Elementary School in Westwood, you know, we'd go in for the conference and they'd say, what, what did you do to your kids? And we're like, what do you mean? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> um, but they were like, your, your kids are so comfortable talking to adults. And it's all because of church. Yeah. You know, they're a church and they're fellowshipping. And, but it started with, you know, before church, having a little meeting and saying, just, you know, what are we going to do when we get to church? Be friendly. And so we had little things like that. We'll talk about it in the next class. But, you know, we had the happy songs that they had to sing when they were, you know, not happy. And I remember one time uh, we were driving and Maria was really being grouchy in her car seat back there. And uh, Dad, Dad said, he said, if you don't stop I'd just like to add to that, too. I think at that stage, our kids get to the two, three, four-year-old range. They understand. And I really highly recommend Towns' book on boundaries, Boundaries for Kids or Boundaries for Teens, in that he's real good with breaking things out from a standpoint of what's age-appropriate. You're in a stage right now where you can be directive. And you, when our kids are young, we want to engage on that level in light of what the few quiz we're talking about when it comes to honoring God, respect, things of that nature with other people is huge. And that you're going to make a transition as they get older, and you want them coming, at, coming to you for input as they transition and they get older. If you've got that directive component established early on, you're going to find them coming back to you for coaching. And you do have to make that transition from telling them what to do to encouraging them, encouraging proper behavior, you know, the emphasis on the positives, minimizing the negatives. And then as it continues, with that kind of a relationship established, you'll find them coming to you for input. When they hit the teen years, you want to have that kind of an open relationship, especially as they start moving into the later teens, where you're able to engage on that level. And you're really appealing to them more on a heart level than, again, just kind of the road directions you give a child when they're young. But Fuqua's were great with us on this when we were younger, when we had the younger kids, and making sure that we were unified. And then there's that degree of consistency, and that you, you've got to, I mean, there are times where it's like, okay, that's the 20th time I've talked to him about that. But that whole bending, not breaking the will, being willing to engage consistently on a level is super important. Can, can we see can we see that? Yeah, it's all she's doing awful. That's 
they did a good job, you know, after the, the situation, it, it was just between me and them. You know, I'd walk by and I'd say, good job. I tell you what, man, you, you, you got to build up your kids. Yeah. Good right. job there. Appreciated that. You were friendly with that guy. I don't even like that guy. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> but, but, <laughs> you, <laughs> you did a good job, man. You, you fought through. I appreciate that. Uh, but uh, but it's, that, it's that positive reinforcement of building them up and noticing when they do good and, and uh, emphasizing the positive, minimizing the negative. Don't criticize them in front of other people. Oh, that's true. You know, if I saw them not do a good job, I, I wouldn't make a note of it while the circumstance was there. And when, when the other person turned around or something like that, I'd say, oh, Ben, come here, let's go talk about something. And we walk around the, the, the side where no one would see it but me and him. And I said, now listen, son, that's not the way we're going to act around here. I saw what you did right there. That's not the way we're supposed to be acting, is it? No. I said, now you get your tail out there and you, you make that right. Amen. But but you don't embarrass them. Great point. You, you pull them off to the side. It's just a conversation between two of you. It, the world didn't stop turning. You, you know, we don't need to go to DEFCON 5 on this thing. <laughs> he just wasn't friendly with a, a person at church that probably irritates you too, if you understand what I'm saying. So, <laughs> you, you, But you make it right and then go, and when he does it right, say, good job. Hey, man, okay, well, we're going to get to a break here in just two minutes, but there was a thing that came up about piercings that Jackie had a little story that she wanted to share about. Chris. Then we're going to go ahead and uh, we'll dismiss you guys again. The Cokes, cookies, coffee, out that exit. Restrooms are over on this side of the building. We'll, after the break, 15 minutes for the break, we'll come back in for more specifics with kids. Yeah, I just had to share that. First of all, thank you guys so much. Uh, but... If you know Marty, Marty's the reason why Steve doesn't have a pierced earring today because when we were young disciples, Marty came up to him at, at church. This is when the whole LA church met together. It wasn't directive. I just want to put that out there. It was more consultative. It was more loving, older evangelist to a young evangelist. I don't even know if he's an evangelist. Anyway, but they discipled us. Later, 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 later years, I totally struggled with you back then, though. Because I had an attitude, I wanted him to have an earring. But anyway, so so all these years later, they're discipling us for like a blip on the screen, and so it was after the holidays. We hadn't seen each other in a couple weeks, and and I found this magnetic, this this fake magnetic nose pierce piercing, and it was really big. And so I told Steve we're going to go to our D time, and we're going to tell them that I got my nose pierced over (laughs) Christmas. And so we go in and, you know, we meet him at this, you know, like El Pollo Local or something. And so we're like, hey, guys, how you doing? We hug him, say hi and everything. And Marty's like, looking at all weird. And Chris, we're going to. And so we're like, we're going to go order. It was impossible. We're going to go order. And you see Marty with Chris Table. (laughs) And so then we sit down and Chris is like, oh, super loving. Marty's like, doesn't say a word. Chris is like super loving, and she's all, "Wow, so it's good to see you guys." So, wow, is that new? Is that yeah, yeah, yeah? I got it over the holidays. Wow, okay, wow, that's interesting. And and um, I'm like, yeah, you know, so I do something different. And she's like, no, you know, she started asking me another question. I'm like, I can't do this anymore. And I stuck my finger in there and pulled it out. I said, I'm just joking. And Marty goes, Well, thank God. <laughs> 
<laughs> anyway, it was awesome. We got them so good. Anyway, we're really grateful to have you I guys. Have a then. great <laughs> break. Let's go ahead and go to break. actually has success and failure stories, which, you know, aren't you comforted by that? Um, because uh, if they were all success stories, you'd say, what's wrong with me? Um, and uh, I believe we have both the positive and the negative to teach us and to guide us, sort of push us in the right direction. In 1 Samuel 2, we're going to look at Eli. And this is a bad example. This guy... Uh, does not do a very good job with the family circumstance in his life. Chapter 2, verse 12. It says, Eli's sons were wicked men. They had no regard for the Lord. Now it was the practice of the priest with the people that whenever anyone offered a sacrifice, and while the meat was still being boiled, the servant of the priest would come with a three-pronged fork in his hand. He would plunge it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot, and the priest would take for himself whatever the fork brought up. This is how... They treated all the Israelites who came to Shiloh. Uh, and, and it goes on and talks about this. Basically, I don't want to get into all the details of the old law here, but basically they are just egregiously taking more from the people than they should be doing. Uh, and they're getting away with it uh, because the people are by and large compliant and, and that kind of a thing. But God is saying uh, by this story, this is a, a very, very bad thing. Okay, come along down in verse 17. It says, this sin of the young men was very great in the, uh, in the Lord's sight, for they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. Then come on down in verse 22. It says, Now Eli, who was very old, heard, now that's an interesting thing, he heard about everything his sons were doing uh, to all the Israelites and how they slept with the women who served in the entrance of the tent of meeting. And then he said to them, Why do you do such things? I hear from all the people about these things and these wicked deeds of yours. No, my sons, it is not a good report that I am here spreading among the Lord's people. And, if I, and he goes on, he talks about this. Now, come on down in uh, verse 29. Because what happened is, uh, even though Eli is the priest, God sends him a prophet to talk to him. And uh, he's honestly not saying great things to him. But he says, he says, why do you scorn my sacrifice and offering that I prescribe for my uh, dwelling? Why do you honor your sons more than me by fattening yourselves on the choice parts of every offering made by the people. And it goes on down, and eventually what's going to happen is his sons die, uh, and then uh, subsequently he dies as well. But we, we, can, we can get a lot from this, from this comment of why do you honor your sons, why do you honor your children more than you honor me? That is something that every, every parent can do. Uh, we love our children. Sometimes we love them so much it hurts. Um, and we can actually get to where Eli got, is that we don't really want to confront our children. We don't really want to have the hassle. We don't really want to have the times of uh, a discomfort where they don't feel good about you and you don't feel good about them. And so you just sort of look the other way uh, when they're misbehaving. And uh, eventually, uh, how God saw that was, basically, you love your children more than you love me. Uh, you honor your children more than you honor me. 
Now, we know from Luke 9 and uh, verse 23, fundamental call of discipleship is that we have to love the Lord our God uh, uh, and, and, and our desire to be a disciple to him, uh, even to the point of loving him more than our, our wives, our children, et cetera, et cetera. And as much as I love Chris, and I'll tell you, I'm wild about her. We've been married almost 35 uh, years. Uh, <laughs> 30-something. Um, <laughs> But uh, you know what? I've got to make sure I love the Lord more than I love Chris. As much as I love Ben and Maria, Anya, uh, and even in a different uh, context, uh, Margaret and Karina, you know, the family, they work in there somehow, you know, if you know what I'm saying. Uh, as much as I love my children, I've got to make sure I love the Lord more than I love my children, or God uh, doesn't feel honored. And of course, we have a bad story here. Now, look over to 2 Timothy chapter uh, uh, 1 or three rather, 2 Timothy 3, then we're going to see a good story, a success story. And that's the, uh, the guy Timothy that we know. Uh, and Paul is writing to him, and he makes uh, reference, uh, it is chapter 1, I'm sorry, um, and he makes reference to his uh, family. Now, his family is unique in that his father is not a Christian. Uh, we know that from Acts 16. Uh, but he, apparently his mother and his grandmother were faithful Jewish women, and, and Paul makes reference to that. He says in verse 4, Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I've been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. And then he goes and he says, Hey, but you need to get that fire going again. You need to get fired up, which is interesting. Uh, you know, that even though he was a faithful Christian, uh, Paul felt like he uh, wasn't at that particular time quite where he needed to be. Can any of us relate with that? Yeah. I can, first and foremost. There's times in my life where I look at myself and I say, you know, uh, my fire's not burning as bright as I wish it was. I'm not where I need to be spiritually. Uh, you know, it's not time to feel sorry for yourself and think, oh, no, what's wrong with me? I'm going to go to hell. That, that's not really the point at that time. The point in your life is that, you know, it's time to get it going again. And get revived up, and that's what he tells him, fan into flame, the gift of God. So we have a success story here. Lois passed it on to her uh, daughter Eunice, and Eunice passed it on to her son Timothy, even though his father uh, was not a follower of God at all. He was a, uh, was a Greek. And so all kinds of families, all kinds of circumstances, single parents sometimes. Uh, sometimes dad's not doing great spiritually. Sometimes mom's not doing great spiritually. Maybe dad fell away. Maybe mom fell away. I mean, we all kinds of different kind of families that can be out there. But you can have great success or you can have a, a failure. And a lot of it is going to fit into this sort of understanding of what are the boundaries what about discipline and how does that all fit? And there's a lot of feelings in our world today about discipline and how should our children be disciplined or should they be disciplined at all? And there's even, even philosophy out there that you should never, ever correct your child. Uh, just let your child direct the whole uh, world, you know, uh, and, and uh, all that kind of thing. And we're going to talk a little bit here about what the Bible talks about uh, in this area. I really appreciate something Steve said uh, at the end of the last class about the unity and the need for unity in parenting. And I think one of the big no-nos of parenting is when mom and dad aren't on the same page. And uh, 
if, if that's the case, I would really urge you to get some conviction about that. Uh, it's super important. I mean, there would be times when something would happen and Marty hadn't, and I hadn't had a chance to discuss it, and the kids would be, you know, wanting to know what's the verdict or whatever. Uh, <laughs> where's, which hammer's coming down? Uh, and we would, we would um, try to say, well, you know, mom and dad need to talk for a few minutes and then we'll get back to you. And there's something good about that too, because, you know, if you've ever been on the receiving end of that, of, oh man, you know, what are they talking about? And, you know, it's a good thing uh, of having to anticipate that. So um, I just wanted to say, really, really important to be on the same page. One of the things that sticks out to me about Eli is that he was more concerned what people thought of him than he was about where his kids were at. And I think that can be a real trap. Um, he was uh, someone who was in a, a leadership position, Eli was, and you know, uh, his, his kids were PKs, preacher kids. And it's easy for our kids. You know, our kids would complain about um, things that it was so hard being a preacher's kid. You know, and we have, you know, people judge us more harshly, which I think is true sometimes. Ben had a very, very bad experience with a brother in uh, Kids Kingdom who, uh, you know, kind of called him out in front of the whole class when he was about, I don't know, 10 or 11 and said, I can't believe the son of Marty Fuquay would act like that. And, uh, you know. Yeah, yeah, really, number one, you must not know Marty very well. <laughs> um, so that, I mean, obviously not a good thing, but, you know, instead of kind of saying, yeah, son, we feel so bad for you, we're like, you know what, you've got a great life. You had so many perks that other kids didn't get. I mean, remember when you went to youth corps? Do you know how many other people had bad attitudes about that? You know, and things that, that they got to do because they were in a leadership position uh, that were benefits. And it's really true for each of our kids, you know, whatever their situation is. Uh, we need to help them to see the blessings that they have instead of just the downside of being your kid. You know, oh, our family's not, you know, our family's poor. You know, woe is us. You know, I can't have what that person has, you know. Well, there's, there's uh, worse things than, than being poor. There really are, you know. Uh, or our family, you know, is this. And, you know, it, there, it's always easy to really feel sorry for ourselves. The other thing I want to say before we get into just the age group stuff is I think one of the underlying um, challenges that our kids have that, um, has just gotten magnified. You know, I feel like there are some things in our culture that, you know, were issues when Marty and I were kids that really aren't issues now. But one of the things that just, I don't know if it's just me, uh, is, is just the absolute refusal of people to take any responsibility for themselves. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's just, it's really difficult when people get into that um, 
attitude and stuff. Uh, you know, I mean, if someone has an addiction problem, really, you know, the issue has got to be they, they only have hope if they're willing to take responsibility for themselves. You know, when we are dealing with marriage problems, really, you know, our only hope is to take responsibility for our own actions in the marriage. You cannot, as much as you want to control everything your spouse does, it, it's never going to work. The only thing you can do is, you know, at some point, is to really look at yourself and take responsibility. And that's such a healthy and a Christ-like attitude um, of, that we need to really instill in our kids. And I'm telling you, uh, in the schools, uh, in, in every facet of society, they are going to be challenged to say, it's not my fault because, it's not my fault because. And it really is not going to benefit them if we're just playing into that. You know, and again, with the teachers at school, when they'd get in trouble, uh, and they did, they all, they, all of them had different issues at school, you know, regardless of whether we thought the teacher was teacher of the year or not, you know, we tried to be respectful. Uh, we tried to get them to be respectful with their teachers and to own up to whatever it was that they could take responsibility for, and it really benefits them later in life. Um, you can be successful. That's what I learned from Timothy, is it doesn't matter if you're a single parent, like Marty said, uh, and that's great news because in the little sector, we lead a little sector that uh, is in our area, which is our demographic is mostly Asian, um, of all things. I, we probably have the largest Asian population in the entire LA church within our sector. Um, and... Uh, we have converted this past year some really awesome divorced people who have kids who are coming into the kingdom. They were total pagans. We have two brothers that are really awesome guys that um, Marty and some of the brothers were involved with who've now become Christians. And, you know, they're starting from way behind the eight ball because their kids are already, you know, up there, preteens and teens. But they can still have hope. You know, you look at Timothy, and the Bible's awesome because it always gives us some hope, you know. And uh, so that's good news. Wherever you're at, there's hope, you know. Uh, but we've got to take responsibility for ourselves. Boundaries are something that God believes in. First story in the Bible, God creates everything, including mankind. And, and what does he do? What's he say to, to Adam? He says, it's all yours, but there are a couple trees there in the middle of the garden, and you're not supposed to go there. So what's that tell us about God from the very beginning is that the concept, the idea of boundaries is not, it isn't something man thought up. This isn't, you know, our idea. It's something that God, from the very beginning, the idea of, of boundaries are a healthy kind of a thing. Uh, a civilized, organized society has to have some boundaries, right? Aren't you glad when you're driving down the, the uh, uh, you know, interstate, the, the, the expressway, that there are boundaries? Yeah. You stay over there. And we're going to be happy. You know, uh, we, we understand that you have to have boundaries. Uh, that, that's a healthy kind of a thing. Now, when it comes to children, this is where it gets a little tricky. I told someone during the break, 
Parenting is part science and it's part art. You know, two and two is four. It just is. That's science. Or, well, it's science. This is what I'm dealing with. <laughs> it's a fact. It, it, two and two is four. We could put a painting up here, and we can come and look at it. And we could look at it, and we could all get a different interpretation, couldn't we? Oh, I, I see my dad. Oh, I, I see a house. It gives me hope. Did a fourth grader do that? I mean, <laughs> art's interpretive, isn't it? It's a little different to whoever's looking at it. Parent is, parenting is part math <laughs> and part art. Because here's the thing. Every parent is different. And every child is different. And all you have to do is have two children and the same parents, and you'll figure out even the same biological parent in environmental circumstance, and you've got two completely different kids. We all know that, right? Wow. And we marvel at that. We're like, wow, how could that be? Well, remember back with your older brother or your younger sister, you know, it, it always happens. You know, just because you're in the same family, it isn't exactly the same. But I'm going to try to give you some boundary ideas here and, and some solutions in that, uh, in that regard. Zero to five, ages zero to five. What, do you, what are you really looking for as far as expectations with a zero to five? Uh, that they can be friendly. They may be able to do a lot more than that, but they can be friendly. And that's an important life skill, isn't it? Okay, I'm, I'm just giving you a broad scope here. They can be clean. That's a life skill. It's important for adults that they know how to live in a clean environment. Now, is, is every kid's room going to look the same? No. You see, this is where art comes in. Clean for one is not clean for another one. And, and, and that gets complicated sometimes. We go, oh, you let him get away with everything. No, 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 no. You know, and, and you got to say, hey, I'm dealing with him. That, that's my business. That's not your business. I'm the parent here. You're the child. Okay, we just need to re reestablish our roles. You're not parenting your brother. I am. Okay, and so you have to say that, that kind of thing to your kid. Just a real quick story. We told our kids when they were, you know, we had their, first they were in a crib, and then we put the mattresses on the floor uh, with the box spring uh, so that they wouldn't, you know, fall out and everything. So, but we told them, we said, it's your bed, and your responsibility every morning is to make your bed. So, you know, I'm a nurse, and uh, I'm like, okay, this is how you do it, and you miter the corners and, you know, all this stuff. And, <laughs> and so, you know, I mean, overthinking a little bit. And uh, so it turned out, it was really funny because I found both of their top sheets in the closet one day. And... I was like, what are your sheets doing in the closet? And, and Ben said, well, I get up and I make my bed. And the sheet, who cares about that? I just pull the blanket up and it's done. So, <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, A for innovation there. 
they can have chores when they're really, really young, and it's a good thing. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, they can take their dishes to the to the sink, you know, whatever. Uh, but but that's got a lot of interpretation there. But they can be friendly and clean. Okay, uh, age six to ten, they can be respectful. When an adult walks in the room, they stop what they're doing, get up, and say hi. Doesn't make any difference what video game you're playing or what's on television. If you're doing homework, when an adult walks in the room, your grandfather, your grandmother, a neighbor, a brother and sister at church, whatever, they can stop what they're doing and go and say hi. They can be respectful. And they can learn a proper sense of independence. I'm hungry. Well, just march your little tail over to that refrigerator and see if you can find something to eat. Now, what they may come up with, that's their business. And if they want to eat, you know, peanut butter with a peach, that's fine. Uh, but th there's a, a proper sense of I had a problem and I fixed it. That's actually a good thing, uh, if you understand what I'm saying. Okay, age 11 to 15. These are totally arbitrary divisions, by the way. I just made them up. <laughs> they can be generous. From, from age 11 to 15, they can be generous. Special contribution. What are you going to give? You say, well... They're not Christians yet. Well, they need to start practicing, so they'll be good at it when they get there. What are you going to give for the special contribution? Well, what do you give me? No, you're going to have to make some money. How can you make some money? Hmm, you know, they can learn to be generous. And they can learn to manage their money and their time. Well, I want to get an iPhone. Great idea. Those things are awesome. How are you going to pay for it? You know what I'm saying? Well, I don't have any way to make money. I, I'll come up with one. How about you pick up the dog poop? And I'll pay you $10 a week. Who knew? It's a lucrative career in the He's now a part of the employed part of our population. If you understand what I'm saying. So age uh, 11 to 15, they can be generous and they can learn to manage their time and money. Uh, age 16 to 21, they can be helpful. They're part of the solution clearly now in the world. They can learn to be helpful. Properly independent and respectful. Okay, so th those are expectations. And that, that's a real broad stroke, guys. Real, real broad. But you understand what I'm saying? Different age has different things that come into play. You don't expect the same thing out of a 10-year-old that you expect out of a 3-year-old. And, and that's okay. Now, the 10-year-old sometimes gets resentful about that. And they invent stories in their mind. Oh, when I was 3 years old, I was walking 4 miles through snow to, to go to kindergarten. In Long Beach? No, you weren't. <laughs> come on. And you have to help them remember correctly what, what their awful, awful childhood was that they were doing at that age and that kind of thing. Okay, now let's talk about discipline. Okay? Zero to five. Disapproval. You say, that's discipline? Yeah, for a little kid, the worst possible thing is that mom isn't happy. And it's okay to, to demonstrate uh, uh, verbally, visually, whatever, I'm not happy. What you just did right there is wrong, and I don't appreciate it. Even just your 
stern word or look is enough sometimes to, to make a child cry because they want their parents' approval instinctively. And so not getting their approval, uh, you know, is, is uh, disapproval can be a big thing. Now, you do that to a teenager, and they'll laugh at you. <laughs> I'm disappointed. Well, Yeah, life is full of disappointment, Mom. Get used to it. Uh, <laughs> so age appropriate, you know, for, for a, a little kid, just even just disapproval uh, can be enough. Yeah, I wanted to add, too, I think that, you know, some of us, I mean, everybody's along the continuum somewhere, you know, right? Maybe some of us don't, don't we're not as involved. We're not as, as directive as we should be. And then you've got the other end of the spectrum, which is you have 25 things you're trying to hold them accountable on. And, you know, if, you're, if that's you, you need to really think that through because, you know, you want them to really think about what's important. But when there's like a huge list, you know, I have a friend who when she had a babysitter, she would have like a list of, you know, these 25 things that, you know, you did and didn't do with her kids. And I'm like, why would anybody want to babysit for you? I mean, that's awful. Uh, so try to keep it simple and, and think through. I mean, we've said these things, different things, and maybe you're thinking, well, he didn't say grateful. You know, that's, they ought to be grateful. They ought to be grateful in every stage. But you think about your kids, and it's going to be different sometimes for each kid of things that they need to be working on as well. So uh, disapproval for age zero to five, uh, perhaps a spank. And you know what is a spank? It's a little spank. It communicated. You know, uh, don't, don't go overboard here. You know, so sometimes people get angry. And, and they, they overdo it. Uh, ben said to me, he said, Dad, I think you spanked me one time too hard. And I said, whoa, only one, huh? Uh, <laughs> boy, I, I got four or five in my mind, but whatever. <laughs> you know. Um, and then people get over spiritual. You should never spank your children when you're angry. What, are you going to spank them when you're happy? I mean, <laughs> no, I mean, there, there's obviously there's a sense of disapproval of behavior, uh, and, and there's a sense of sternness there. But uh, if you're really mad, no, you shouldn't spank your kids. Cool off. Uh, but th th the issue is not how hard you spank. You're communicating. You know, the preferred way to communicate is through the ears. But, you know, if the ears aren't working, then we're going to open them up. <laughs> we'll get those ears working, uh, and, and you can look at it that way. Yeah, I just want to make a comment on this because... Depending on what your background is, too, I mean, there's a wide variety of, of feelings about that. I mean, maybe, maybe you were spanked a lot, and, and you're like, yeah, and when I have kids, they're going to get it. Uh, <laughs> or maybe you're like, I was spanked a lot. I'm never going to do that to my kids. And so it's, it may be just your perspective. And then you're married to somebody who has a totally different perspective. And it goes back to point one of getting unified and figuring out what's the game plan here. Yeah. You know, we've got to get agreeable with what we're going to do with the kids so that, you know, mom isn't just, you know, going after them and dad's, you know, like, oh, let's go. Let's go in the, in the game room and have a timeout <laughs> kind of thing. You don't want a disparity there. And you have to realize times change. Right. 
Now, the scriptures are true, but the times change. Uh, what my grandfather probably did to my dad at times wouldn't have played very well with him with me. You know what I'm saying? What my dad did with me probably wouldn't have played real well in Los Angeles in the 1990s with Ben. What I did with him probably won't play real well in the 2000s and Whatever. whenever they have children, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know in, 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 in the world of our world today. I don't think uh, in my mother's time with me, probably, you know, stomping around the grocery store, if, if, if uh, a mother spanked her kid, probably everyone would have said, well, that kid really needed it. You do that today, and they're going to they're gonna be phoning you in. They're going to be taking your kids away. So you've got to use a lot of wisdom here. And just because something happened in your life doesn't mean you need to absolutely uh, replicate it in our world today. Different time, different circumstance, and you've got to use some, some brains here. You know what I'm saying? Okay, now, uh, 6 to 10, we did 0 to 5, with disapproval and maybe a little spank or a timeout. 6 to 10, uh, privileges taken away. Well, you can't watch square pants. Uh, SpongeBob. SpongeBob, square pants, uh, or whatever. Uh, you can't do your video game, whatever. You, privileges. Uh, 11 to 15, a talk. You say, that's discipline? Listen, the worst possible thing for my kids was to have a talk with me. We're going to sit down and talk about this, and you could just see them. Oh, no. <laughs> and, and like I said earlier, I, I, I was a wrestler, and the concept of, of, of making it hard uh, is, is well in my DNA. And Chris and I worked out a, a, a way to get around that. She, she would do this, you know, behind them. So she, I can see her, but they can't see her. You know what this means? You're grinding it in. Stop. And so we'd be talking, and, and you know, I'd, I'd see her, and I'd say, okay, we're done. So, you know, uh, you, you help each other. But I'm saying the worst possible thing sometimes is, is a talk. And then 16 to 21, not much. I'm telling you guys, by the time they're 16 to 21, the die is pretty set. You, you, you better realize if you didn't do it by now, you're not going to get it done. You can't run time back and wish you could do it again. Whatever you did, you did. Whatever you didn't do, you didn't do. By the time they get to 16 to 21, it's pretty much over. Um, that's awful. <laughs> that sounds awful. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let me rephrase that. <laughs> uh, I, I do want to say the car is a great, you know, thing when your kids are that age, if they get their license, uh, you know, and the car is, is what we use to say, okay, no car, you know, you're going to have to walk or take the bus. There is a bus system. You're welcome to take it kind of thing uh, for discipline. Um, lastly, I just want to say that whatever age, really enjoy it. And don't just endure it. Uh, persevere. Don't give up. Uh, don't grow weary of doing good for at the proper time you will receive the harvest. And uh, we love it. We love hanging with our kids. We have great relationships with all of them. And uh, it is a real joy. Uh, to be able to have our kids around us. So thank you so much.
We got all kinds of additional truisms and axioms that weren't even on. Even Jackie when they first became disciples. And this is where we get good. We actually, in the married ministry, took straws. Well, who's going to disciple them on their kids? And, uh, you know, uh, and, uh, you know, of course, I, you hear the story, you know, Jackie's here to come to Bible study. We're like, no, you're here to get a babysitter, Jacqueline. She's, oh, I got you. Um, then you sold your Ford Mustang? And we're all grieving. I was like, I don't understand what the big deal. And you see Jackie's just depressed, you know. Um, but, you know, we've known them for a long time. And truly, honestly, in all, all um, sincerity, they bailed us out of our marriage so many times. And we are just so grateful for them. And they are, they mean so much to us. And, you know, I don't know many of you. I see, you know, Andy here and Pat and some face I do. But, honestly, you guys have some great uh, leaders in Steve and Jackie. And I hope you appreciate them in that sense. Um, feel very honored here. Um, you know, I just want to get started. So for time sake, this is special needs. Uh, I want to know, how many people here um, are parents with children with special needs? One, two, three, four. Okay. How many are supporting a family or somebody close to you that has special needs? Okay. There's a few more hands. How about otherwise? other situations. Okay, we have a few here. We're going to help you out here a little bit with some stuff. Um, I know you don't know us, so you know, uh, I'm going to just have my wife come up and share a little bit about who we are to kind of, we're going to get into some things pretty quick and you need a little perspective uh, when I start talking. And my wife has a little thing. She wrote a book recently and there's a, a like a little couple page or oh, a page there that'll help uh, get us on the, the right uh, drift. So uh, I'm going to bring my wife up. I want you to know that I didn't know what the questions were going to be in terms of our icebreaker this morning, um, but I want to give myself some credibility here. One of the questions was, do you have Cheerios? Oh, no. We also have some to share if we need a snack for getting bored. Do you, do you have a toy in your car? Here's my, one of my toy bags. It includes uh, a musical drum, so if we need rhythm to get moving and get our motor planning going. Uh, we have fuzzy gloves if we need sensory input. We have a favorite video. We have toys that light up. We have the burping piano, should that be necessary. So hopefully that gives us a little more credibility in terms of what we have to share here. <laughs> so welcome to the world of special needs. I'm just going to read the introduction uh, to the book that we wrote recently, just because it kind of distills down what our experience has been so far. <clears throat> um, I became a Christian in 1977 when I was a freshman in college with Marty and Chris. Um, <clears throat> I met my husband Dan in 1988, and we were married in 1989 in Chicago, and we enjoyed serving together as volunteers in the teen ministry. We were married uh, in 1989. We moved to Los Angeles in 1990 and continued to volunteer as teen workers um, in what was then the East Region. And our lives were kind of clipping along. We got jobs, we got pregnant, we had a baby. And you know, life was kind of clipping along like we expected that it would. We were trying to be contributors to the church and good neighbors and all the things that you, know, you try to do as a young married couple. Um, we got pregnant with our first child, and he had a great uh, delivery. And then at about six months old, he got bacterial meningitis. Uh, 
and became septic. And I don't know if you know much about that, but there's about a 10% survival rate for that. So it just so happened that there was a meeting of the church during the week that he was, um, his temperature was rising and the medications weren't working very well. And the church prayed and his temperature went down and he came out of the hospital basically unscathed. And uh, we're like, we were, we were very grateful to God, but at the same time, that's sort of what we expected because we felt like, well, you know, God, we do the right things and God takes care of his own, right? So that was sort of what we had expected. Um, and I remember thinking at the time, this will probably be the most dramatic thing that ever happens in my entire life because it was very dramatic and it was very scary, but I really thought that was probably it. That would be my story to tell. And then uh, two years later, our second son was born and he had a more difficult delivery and we had some concerns about him early on, but they were just kind of nags in the back of our mind, not too concerned. And then around four months old, I noticed he was lagging a little bit in his development. So I talked to the pediatrician, he said, don't worry about it. I'm like, okay, but it was still just kind of a nag. And then around nine months, he'd fallen off the growth charts. So finally, um, my pediatrician started doing some tests and he referred us to a neurologist. And I explained about Brock's delivery and he's like, oh, this is birth asphyxia. He's probably gonna have an abnormal gait and other than that, he's gonna be fine. And I can't tell you how much I mourned about that abnormal gait, thinking about him in sports and thinking about him maybe being teased by other kids. And I mourned that tremendously, even though it really wasn't a real serious situation. But um, then we uh, got pregnant with our third child. And during the time that I was pregnant with her, um, I started noticing that he really wasn't progressing. We were involved with early intervention and therapies, and he really wasn't progressing like he should have been. But we sort of ignored that because the doctor said he was going to have an abnormal gait and everything else was going to be fine. So we, started, we were kind of ignoring a lot of the signs that something more serious was going on. And then when Jacqueline was a year old, um, Brock started having seizures with a vengeance. And he would have seizures. Sometimes we would be released from the hospital when they were two minutes apart because he was so much better than when we got there. Sometimes it was every 15 seconds, every two minutes. Um, and for the next two years, that was pretty much our life. Ten, 10 days a month at least in the hospital, probably five emergency room visits in between with a three-year-old and a one-year-old at home. So our lives got very complicated at that time, and the doctors did some additional testing and came back and told us that Brock had a metabolic disorder. And based on the, the seizures that he was having and the severity of those seizures, they said he would probably only live to be three or four. So we're like, okay, then we're going to buckle down for a crisis here. We're going to do the best job that we can do, and we're just going to keep moving, but we're just going to try to provide as many experiences as we could for him. So. He, he reached age of three and wasn't really declining much more. The seizures were still very severe, but he wasn't declining. And then he turned four, and he still wasn't declining. Seizures were still there, but he wasn't declining. So they did some additional tests and said, oh, he's deletion positive for Angelman syndrome. And what that meant was most kids with Angelman's have seizure disorders, but they, they have a lot of the features of autism, they have severe developmental delays, they have motor delays, they have visual problems, they're mostly nonverbal, and they live a normal lifespan. So you would think we would be thrilled, right? He's gonna live a normal lifespan, we're not gonna lose this child. 
And we did feel wonderful about that, but then it also occurred to me, I'm not sure how Dan was feeling at this time, but I was like, wow, we weren't buckling down for a crisis. This is my life. And um, that's when I got completely overwhelmed. And I remember one Christmas, um, Brock had lots of, the medications that he took for his seizures made him super hyper. And I remember at Christmas time, um, <laughs> we, we couldn't do decorations. I knew that was too much. So I'm like, but I'm just gonna put up a light, a tree and just put lights on it. We should be able to manage that. And I came out to find Brock eating the plugged in glass lights off of the tree. And um, so I have my finger in, he's biting on my finger and I'm scooping glass out of his mouth. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to bed and I'm never getting up again. I told Dan, I was like, I'm gonna go lay down. And I went in and crawled in bed literally with the intention of never getting up again. Um, so the reality of my life had really hit. Um, and I think that you know, the overwhelming feeling was, I can't do this. And I remember actually saying that to Jackie one time. I was in a leaders meeting, and Brock was having a seizure, and I had to go to the hospital, and I ran out of the room, and I ran back in, and I looked her in the eye and said, I can't do this. <laughs> and her, she said, you will because you have to. I'm like, okay. And out I went, you know. But um, it was, we had some pretty difficult times there. But then eventually, um, I, we had to learn that, you know, this is a cross-country, we've been sprinting, and this is a cross-country race. And we had to, we were going to stay in the race, but we had to change our pace. And we had to change our expectations. And we had to change how we were going to be disciples. God's expectations for us hadn't changed, but how we were going to live that out was going to look very differently. Um, let's see. Eventually, with lots of prayer, reflection, long talks over coffee, and developing some good personal habits, I came to some very important truths. It was true that we had been living again as sprinters and needed to evolve into cross-country racers. We would stay in the race, but at a, at a different pace. I became determined to cling to God's promises that he could provide peace that passes understanding, and I could experience joy, and he could work all things together for my good. <clears throat> Sorry, that makes me emotional. <laughs> I didn't necessarily see how, but I was going to start looking. And we have made tons of mistakes along the way, um, we've, but we've also learned some very valuable lessons. And Dan and my hope is that for parents with special needs, we can communicate you are not alone, you are not alone in your journey or your struggles. Um, and we're hoping that some of the pitfalls that we fell into and landmines that we walked on, we can help other parents sidestep some of those issues and so that um, you can have a good quality of life. I can tell you Brock is now 21, He's, he still has seizures. He has far exceeded everyone's expectations. Developmentally, he's very low functioning, but he is the happiest kid on the face of the planet. A lot of you who are raising teenagers, I tell everyone Brock was my easiest teenager. <laughs> he, he still thinks I'm the best thing since sliced bread, and not every mother gets that every day. When I walk in the door from work, he lights up, and I get that every day of my life. So there, he's got a great quality of life. We're tired, but he has a great quality of life, and I can say that we've experienced lots of joy and lots of great um, things because of Brock as well. Um, at this point in time, um, amen. Um, uh, me too. I'm going to talk a couple things. It might be a little intense, so if I lose it, just bear with me and let's keep moving. Um, Obviously, for Susan and I, it was very different. Um, you, you heard some things for her. We have two other kids. 
Um, my oldest son's married in Orange County, um, great disciple. My daughter's in Montana going to college. Um, and then Brock, you're just going to have to work with me real quick because we're going to talk about a couple things that going to be tough. To me, it was very different. I was, I was devastated in a very different way. Um, I could handle seizures. I was, we were praying he would die, quite frankly. That's where we're at. We were just, for many years, we're like, let's just get this over with God. Why are you prolonging this? Um, by, by 12, I think that's when it hit me the hardest. Because if you don't understand this type of um, situation, behavior becomes huge. Um, if you understand the disability world, it's not the fact you're sick, you're dying. It's that they're alive. <laughs> and there's care. And it's around the clock. And it's behavior. And it's everything else. So Brock, he was strong because of cognitive issues. We couldn't go out in public. He would hurt people physically. He was stronger than most men in this room. And he could, he could take you down very, I would take any one of you men and his grip would pull you down. He was that strong from seizures. And so for me, it was a real mourning process. We couldn't go into public with him. And it was just hard, you know, IEPs, it was just the constant wear. And I, you know, I'm, I'm going to this because you know some, um, um, well, let me just finish my thought here. Um, we couldn't go to public. Um, you know, we've had some great victories, as Susan said. You know, um, eventually we got to the point where if you asked me six years ago, if I would say he'd go out in public, I would say no. Unequivocally, he would, he just couldn't. Um, last summer, this last summer, we flew back to Wisconsin with him. That is huge, if you don't understand what that means. And so what that means here, I want, my point here, I want to start starting to this, is that, you know, for you, as I'm addressing you, it means something very different for each one of us. Some of you are looking at me, I get it. You have no idea what this means. I mean, I get it, that's great. Some of you are, maybe I see some pregnant women walking around and thinking, God, please don't let me go through that. I don't think I can handle that. And I'm with you. <laughs> you know, maybe there's someone here, you have some family members that you're looking at them like, wow, I don't know how to bring them to even church. I know we'd bring him to church and everybody just walk past him because he's a monster. This is your thinking. This is what reality is, folks. And then you think, too, and you say, I want to reach out to people. Statistically, 17% of the population of children has special needs. That means we're behind the eight ball with most Christian churches. We're behind eight ball in the church. What does that mean? What that means is many different things. We're not getting it. We're not getting God's heart. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. Um, as ministry leaders, it's a black hole of help. How do I meet these needs? People come to me and my wife say, how do we meet these needs? I'm saying, yeah, you're right. These are intense. We bring someone through the door like Brock and say, great, good luck. I mean, this is not hard. People aren't intentional. This is what happens. You know, some of us are, um, you're exhausted. You know, you're reaching out to people, and you just don't know how to reach them. You know, it's my friend, my loved one, my co this co-worker's child, and we don't know how to reach them. This is just too intense. And, you know, this is what happens. And, um, um, you know, um, let me, and our church does not reflect that. You know, I want to ask you, I want to go into two things that kind of help us out here. First, you got to ask her where you're at. We're in this perspective of special needs because it's huge. I mean, Stephen Jack asked how long we can talk. We could talk here for hours, off the cuff, whatever. Where am I in this, in this whole scheme? Put your name on that spot. Okay, we got our spot. It's intense. Down, down here, you put yours down here. Second question is, what does God think about it? 
and how is God going to help? Let's turn to chapter John, uh, John chapter 9. In John chapter 9, this is a scripture I had read many, 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 many times in the darkness of discouragement. And it wasn't until we started having some deep discussions about special needs ministry in our church that really started coming to light. And I had spent many hours and just praying to God, just begging God, ugly prayers, ugly whatever. And it says, that Jesus, John chapter 9, verse 1, as Jesus went along, he saw a man from birth, he says, his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus said to him, neither this man or his parents were sinned, Jesus said, but it happened so that the work of God may be seen in his life. And I was asking God, time and time and time and time, God, I don't see it. I do not see God working here. In fact, I see some people encouraged, bro, you're, you're a light to the fellowship. You're going to make it, and we're, you know, we got bad things come. We'll come to you, and you're the light. And that's the extent of it, I'm thinking? <laughs> that's God working? It didn't make sense, and so I got bitter and angry. And you know what's amazing? One of the things that um, I didn't see Brock working in that. Didn't see the mold. And maybe if you've never had bitterness in your life, deep-sounded bitterness, Maybe you've had someone die in your life recently. Maybe you've had someone who lived and the, the, the life, they're, whatever. You fill in the back the hardship. And you say, God is not working. Then we went to, cha- to first, uh, Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 was the second part that helped me. When it came to disabilities, I had to really just get on the page with God. 1 Corinthians 12 Verse 9, or verse uh, 18, I've got my glasses. We talk about the many parts of the body. God says, but in fact, God has arranged every part of the body exactly how he wanted them. It was not a mistake. Dan, this is not a mistake. You're six foot tall. You can slam a basketball. That's not a mistake. I made you that way. You're short. And you're not so good wrestler. Sorry, Marty. <laughs> I made it that way. In fact, if I want to give you two chromosomes, I'm going to give you two chromosomes. And if I decide to take that 15th and pull it out, I'm going to do that too. It wasn't a mistake. You can't slam a basketball. But as we started to learn, things started to come to peace. We started learning things as we started to understand that. I want you to picture this. I want all the men... In this auditorium, 25 years old, and leave. I mean, don't do it, but just leave. We don't really need you. That's part of the Bobby that's not really presentable because you're white and you don't know how to dance. <laughs> so we're not going to have you. You're going to leave. We don't need you. How about all the women? You're married. You've got some emotional issues going on sometimes. We don't need you either. <laughs> we're going to take you out of the fellowship. Silly, just absolutely silly. Maybe your skin is a, you know, uh, yeah, it's silly how we think that. You know, maybe your skin is a different color than mine. Maybe what your background is different. We take these and we do this in our mind. And we do it with disabled people all the time. Every day. And God says, you know, wait a minute, you're missing the point here. You need them. 
this isn't for me to give a burden to you to take care of them. You need them. You know, it's amazing. My son. It took us about, we have this, going up to church, we have like six steps. <laughs> we went through therapy about eight years to get him to take those six steps. And when he did that one day, my wife and I are like at the top of the step, like, Rocky did it. You know, Brock's like, whoa. Everybody's like standing around like, is he going to make it? And then we're just doing our, like, it's the top of the steps. And we're like celebrating. In our mind, people had no idea but what that meant. You know what that meant is? God's timing is not mine. God's timing's not yours. And you know the thing about disabilities, which are awesome, they take instantly so many things off the table. Instantly, right off the table. Looking good. How many disciples struggle with looking good? <laughs> yeah, hello? Disabilities take that right off the table. My son, one of the things at one point in time we're working with his therapies was to take him to movies. That was part of his getting out and integrating him in, into society and, to, and things. And we went into the movie theater, and one of the things he gets for, in, uh, in, uh, for a therapy is fruit bites. And he, you know, he gets them, and they're, they're, they're precious. And we walked up to the, we, he walked in the theater, and he saw the candy aisle. I'm not talking about stand, the aisle. He's a strong guy. He decimated that candy aisle. We did not look good that day. Brock made his mark. So my point is, is this. I don't know where you are with this and where it is. You know something? As a parent, you've got to learn whatever situation it is, a different reference how God sees things. In our family, we have a saying, grace abounds. Grace abounds. My wife and our marriage, I, it would scare you to tell you how much marriage counseling we've had. You just say, why have they been up there? It's true. We've gotten so much help. Grace abounds. Um, and my wife wants to share some things at this point in time about, um, I'll let her share Five more minutes. Five, oh, good. Okay. Five, five eight minutes. Sorry. Um, so what I wanted to talk about was how do we include people with disabilities? And if we were doing a great job of it, then about 17% of the people in this room would be families of people with special needs. Um, and you're not going to find that anywhere in the church because we've still got some growing to do in that area. So I'm just going to put out a few challenges to help us with that. Um, there was a doctoral student at University of San Francisco. And she did her doc doctorate thesis on including people with disabilities in churches. And she went to lots of churches. She did tons of research. But basically, what it all boiled down to is some churches did it well and some didn't. And the difference was what the value was. Do we value commodity or do we value community? And let's think about that for a minute. And school, what are the values? API scores, going to uh, university. There's so much pressure on kids, and it's not about their character, it's about the commodity. How are you gonna make me look at the end of the day? And the, our kids are being trained, so much of that is because of API scores. Um, all the time, you know, it, it, from the time kids are little, it's all about commodities, it really is, unless we're really teaching them otherwise. Um, 
The other thing is even in the church sometimes. In our past, um, the commodity was baptisms or the commodity was acknowledgement. Were you lifted up? Were you praised for what you did? And that was sometimes our motivation to do things. So it's, it's in our nature. Commodity is in our nature. And we really have to, like Marty and Chris talked about, you got to fight your nature if we're going to be really build on community. And I'll tell you, if you have special needs families, then commodity is not the issue. If you have a child that needs a one-to-one aid and you run Kids Kingdom, and you're like, wow, I have a hard enough time getting volunteers, now you want one person for one child? It's not a good commodity. Um, and if you have a family that, like, like we did, we sometimes, sometimes for months, I would make it to church. So if the commodity was church attendance, I wasn't a good commodity. Um, if I could go on and on and on about commodities, but I think the point is we really have to get back to what Jesus' call was, and the, his call was for community. And um, there are a couple things you can assume about parents with special needs. Um, when somebody passes away, you go through a grieving process, and um, it's painful and it's horrible, and it never completely goes away, but it's a, it's a process. When you have a child with special needs, it's an ongoing, fluid process. And, you know, we can get pretty ugly sometimes. If we're in the anger stage, like, all those stages of grief are incredibly helpful for different things, but they always have a flip side, you know? <clears throat> when you're depressed and can't get out of bed, trust me, you're contemplating your life, you're thinking, you're evaluating, and you're going to come out of that with some good things. When you're angry, you're going to get on the phone, you're going to call your school district, you're going to call whoever, you're going to call the president if he'll listen, you know, and you're going to get some things done. So the, all those things are good, but there's a flip side. And if you're supporting somebody who is a, in a family with special needs, you just have to be aware of that. And I, I gave Steve some resources. There's a terrific article written about grief, and I guess it's on a PDF. Okay. Okay. It's a terrific article, and I would suggest if you're a parent of special needs or if you're supporting somebody with special needs or if you're going to reach out to somebody with special needs, it's a great place to start. It really helps you understand what that grief is like. There's also milestone grief. The first day of kindergarten, when all the kids are walking off to school and yours is taking the little yellow bus, it hurts. Mm -hmm. You know, their uh, high school graduation, I still can't talk about it because that was just last year, and Dan and I could both sit and cry about it. The world is opening up for most kids, but you're trying to figure out how your kid is going to manage, you know. So there are all these little situational things that come up, and you have no idea what's going to bother you. I, I laugh. I was telling Chris earlier you know, all the stuff that we were going through when Brock was in and out of the hospital, you know what bothered me the most? My dirty house. <laughs> Could you anticipate that? No. Does it make any sense? No. But I had a standard for my house. You know, we all have standards for things. And I could not meet my own standard. You know, I always wanted my house to be the gathering house for kids in the neighborhood. And my house was anything but that. So you, who knows? We all have these dreams in our head of what our life is going to be like, what our children are going to be like. And there's a grief that goes with sometimes you not being that person. So you can always count on that there's, the parents are going through some kind of grief and that you need to be supportive of that. Um, the other thing is, um, I'm sorry. Am I running out of time? We're about, yeah, we're just. Uh, parents have a high level of fatigue. 
Sometimes it's physical fatigue. A lot of times it's emotional fatigue. If you're going to get the medical services that you need, you have to advocate for that. If you're going to get the educational services that you need, you're going to have to advocate for that. There's so much advocacy involved in addition to all the care that you're providing that parents are fatigued. And I know there were times in our life that I said, we can't come because of Brock, but in reality, we can't become because I'm just too tired. Um, so I think just being aware that there's, a, there's grief involved too. And like uh, Dan talked about, in terms of if you have children with special needs in your ministry, you know, if, if he's in your class and you're a Kids Kingdom teacher, are you thinking, wow, what an opportunity? Are you thinking, oh, I got the short end of this, the straw this time. This is going to be a lot of work and a lot of responsibility. And if we really believe that these people exist so that God can be glorified, then you have to ask, how can he be glorified in my class? How can he be glorified in my small group? How can he be glorified in my church? And um, I just wanted to share briefly, um, well, one thing I'm going to share just because I don't want to forget. Um, in November, in San Diego, DT Today is hosting a conference, a Kids Kingdom conference, and they're also doing a track for families who have adopted and some of the unique situations there, and then also for special needs. If there's someone in your life who has special needs, please do everything you can do to support them so that they're able to go to that conference because it's going to be lots of parents sharing ideas, sharing hope, sharing uh, ways that they can be more effective parents. So, um, and then, let's see. So I wanted to share two personal examples from our life, basically. Um, I wanted to share, first of all, we have lots of respite workers that have come through our life. We've had roommates, we've had helpers, we've had all kinds of people live with us. And I just wanted to share um, what their vocations are. We have a social worker. Now, vocations now. Yeah, afterwards. since they've left us. But the, um, we have a social worker, a nurse, a special ed teacher, a marriage and family therapist, a pediatric neurologist, another nurse, another special ed teacher, a PhD and RN in public health, and one engineer. What, and the reason I bring that up is to say that um, a special needs child will teach you more about community than any lesson, than any example, than any hope day. Having a special needs child in your fellowship is going to really teach you about community. I also wanted to share one other example. We had um, a friend of ours for many years that moved to Seattle, had cancer, and she came back to LA for cancer treatment. And her parents needed a place to stay. So Dan and I decided that we were gonna, oh, no, no, okay, okay. <laughs> I can ramble. Um, so anyhow, they needed a place to stay, so we decided that we would have them stay with us. And after we'd made that decision, I got a call, several calls, probably four or five calls actually. This dad, he's angry, he's bitter, uh, he's demanding, he doesn't like white people, you know, just this whole list of things that, that, that we needed to be aware of. Um, and that wasn't particularly helpful because we'd already made the decision, so, but, it, what, <laughs> but what I said was, that's okay, Brock's got this. And they're like, well, what do you mean? I'm like, don't even worry about it, Brock's got this. And um, they moved in with us, and, you know, when this little guy who has a hard time walking, a hard time visually taking things in, having seizures, drooling, obviously have all, has all these issues, comes up and smiles in your face, what are you going to say? 
<laughs> and literally, um, one time they heard Brock say the word happy. And so they kept saying it back to him, happy, 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 trying to get him to say it again. And what Brock interpreted that as is his name was Happy. So every time he saw him, he'd say, happy. <laughs> and sometimes he'd stand out next to his door and go, happy. <laughs> and they moved in with us in April. And when they moved out in October, they were both disciples. So again, Brock, you know, sometimes kids with special needs can break through barriers that we could never break through, and they have a magic about them. And if you don't know those kids, and if you aren't taking the time to get to know them, you are really missing out in your fellowship. So I really encourage you to do that. This probably gives you a little bit of an insight as to why uh, Dan and Susan follow the realm of our heroes in the faith. I think more than anything, though, I think what we got a little bit of an insight to is the degree of compassion and love God has for every soul. And I was a little blown away. I had no idea the percentages of special needs children were such a high percentage. I think you guys said 17%, which I would imagine that means all of us are within, all of us probably know somebody, at the very least know somebody that knows somebody that has these types of situations to deal with. The awareness within the church, they can take it to the next level of community, uh, just love for one another. Um, a lot of times, you, you know, you really can't engage on a level if you don't even know that it's something that exists. So today, more than anything, I hope this has helped with a degree of awareness, both within the church and when it comes to outreach. Um, and it, with that as well, just being grateful for whatever the situation we have personally knowing that God is in control, God is a loving God, and the fact that we can even come together and talk about things like this today. Uh, I do have those resources sheet, resource sheets. As soon as we break, Jack's going to be on one side, I'll be on the other. Everybody did already receive a PDF with all this information and the websites. And, if they're on CCB. If they're on CCB. Yeah, if you're on CC, CBC, you received it. If not, what did I say? CCB? CCB. <laughs> I am totally confused now. The church, community church builder thing, so CCB. Anyways, you've already got it in your, uh, you've already received it. It went out earlier today. Uh, beyond that, uh, again, guys, we are going to go ahead and close things down now. Dan and Susan will be staying behind us here.